Hi, this is Adrian Vandenberg, all the way from Holland. You're listening to Sonic Perspectives. bringing you another interview for Sonic Perspectives. Our guest today released his first of many solo albums in 1982 and eventually joined Whitesnake in 1987. Since the 90s, he's had many bands and re-established himself with the band Vandenberg. I'm talking, of course, of Mr. Adrian Vandenberg. Adrian, great to have you here with us. Likewise. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, you have a new album called uh, 2020 to be released later this month of May. Give us the details about the writing and recording of the album. Well, it, it, there's a little bit of a story um, um, that leads into it. Um, the last five years, I had my band Vandenberg's Moon Kings, and um, we had a, a great period, uh, co- made a couple of, of um, strong records and stuff, but um, the problem was the singer in Moon Kings, he um, is a good friend of mine, but he's got a big farming company, and he couldn't leave the country for more than say one or two days so we couldn't do any international touring oh wow um which made and and i really started missing that because you know i've been touring all over the world ever since 82 so that made me decide to put moon kings on ice and um put something new together and when my manager suggested uh why don't you call it vandenberg i said well no i don't want it to be like a nostalgic type of thing you know and then i thought about it i thought well you know it could be interesting if if I can find a amazing singer and put together a kick-ass lineup, then it would be interesting because then it would be like a brand new kick-ass band with a name that has a heritage. So that became, uh, after a couple of days of uh, brainstorming with my own brain, inside mm. my own brain, that, that became um, <laughs> the story, actually. And um, yeah, I went to Madrid where... Um, Ronnie Romero lives, and um, who whom I actually discovered, like a more, uh, like a lot of people, um, because he he um, he also sings for Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. Yeah. But I, but I knew that Richie only does like three, four, five shows every two years, so I assumed um, that that Ronnie would have some time on his hands, which he did, you know. So mm-hmm. then I found my awesome singer. So then everything else fell into place, and it made sense to. Um, to start working on the name Vandenberg again after all those years. Yeah. And, well, it's unquestionable, of course, that uh, what Ronnie brings to the table. And it's great that you wrote the songs already for his style, as opposed to him coming on board later to do those tracks, right? Well, actually, um, I had a couple of riffs, but um, as soon as I always like to write um, my music um, tailored to the singer. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so when I came back from the first meeting in, uh, in Madrid, I immediately uh, started making songs out of a couple of riffs that I had and, and came up with new riffs And because uh, I really want to um, make a singer shine on the album because that's what translates. And um, I usually tailor my guitar solos, for instance, to the story that a singer tells, you know, when, when mm-hmm. the, which is actually w- one of the reasons why I still have uh, sometimes a hard time dealing with, uh, you know, otherwise great guitar solos from great players. But when when the singer, you know, the, the, um, tells his story, so to speak, in a song, and suddenly the guitar solo comes up and it goes, you know, I, I, that, that, that's yeah. a totally different world for me, you know. So yeah. um, I like to, 
hear the vocal performance first and then I get in the vibe with my guitar stuff. Right. I think the end result of this album does reflect that, uh, in my opinion, at least. Uh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Well, tell me about the choice of uh, Randy on bass and Cohen on drums as well. That was interesting um, because um, obviously it, it would make most sense if I could get a Dutch lineup together outside of Ronnie because Ronnie lives abroad and mm. that's already got some consequences in the in, in the routing and, 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 you know, whatever, when we want to get together for photo sessions and rehearsals and all that stuff. But at the same time, I never really keep an eye on, on what's going on in a Dutch rock scene because uh, usually um, it's not that interesting to me. Um, I got a little spoiled, you know, working uh, with Whitesnake for 13 years and stuff. And so I didn't really keep an eye on it. But um, so I decided to take a look in the leading Dutch drummer magazine. Um, they, I knew they have a yearly top 10 of drummers that have been voted by their peer drummers as being, you know, the guys on in a certain area. So you got your jazz drummer, you got your funk drummer, you got your rock drummer. And I decided to take a look. And then Kuhn, he had a, he already won, he was already voted best rock drummer in the, in Holland, Belgium and Luxembourg for seven years straight. So I thought that guy has got to be good, you know. So I looked him up on YouTube I was blown away by his playing, so I thought, you know, if he's available, that's the guy. And uh, I called him up. We didn't know each other, and um, he was extra he was ecstatic because he he said, "Well, man, I've been waiting for something like this for years, but there's so few bands that manage to get out of Holland and and play on, you know, like a world class level, um, which he does, and he's aware of it, you know, because he's not stupid." So that was great. And Randy was actually um, uh, recommended by me by to me by a very well-known Dutch uh, rock player who decided to spend the rest of his life teaching as, at a rock academy, so to speak. So, you know, something like GIT or comparable to that. Um, and uh, he said, well, I got the perfect guy for you. And Randy's 27 year, years old, but um, his favorite bands are Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Rainbow, you know, all the stuff that, um, that fits perfectly with uh, what I wanted to do. So... It came together in a very organic way, so to speak. You have a few special guests on the album as well, Rudy Sarzo and uh, Brian Tichy, who were your former uh, bandmates in White Snake. Exactly, yeah. Um, what happened was um, the studio was already booked because um, we wanted, we we really needed to to record that album in January in order to get it out in May. So I didn't have the lineup together yet. So I called up Rudy, Rudy, and and and. Brian. Brian, and knowing that they're fantastic players and they're good friends, you know, and they reacted very enthusiastic. And they said, oh, great, you know, we'll play on the album. Fantastic. And because uh, Rudy and I haven't been together on an album since 1994, right. quite a while ago, yeah. when we were still young and handsome, and now we're just handsome. <laughs> but, um, <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, um, and when I suddenly unexpectedly found, uh, found Cohen and, um, and Randy, I, I got in touch with Rudy and, and, and Brian, and they were happy to guest on the album, you know, on, on two tracks. So um, it works out great for everybody. Right. And and the album was recorded with uh, Bob Marlett as a producer. Tell me about the choice of him doing the album yeah. and uh, what did it bring to the table this time? My manager and I uh, and the record company, we discussed the, the upcoming record, you know, and we the three of us simultaneously thought it would be a good idea to work with a producer this time because I've been producing my own records for, for ages. And uh, at one point, um, I, I realized it would be interesting to have like, like a fresh pair of ears, so to speak, somebody who looks at it objectively without having written the, the songs. And um, um, and the good thing is what I usually do, I prepare myself very well um, 
and I make very extensive demos. Um, so I don't run. I don't want to run the risk of um, uh, not to fool myself by thinking uh, possibly, you know, um, oh, it's going to be great once it's recorded in a studio. You know, um, that's that's a mistake I made a very long time ago, and I promised myself I would never do that anymore. So. Um, uh, yeah, I sent the demos to Bob. Um, Bob was actually one of the three guys that uh, my record company Mascot suggested when uh, when we decided, you know, it could be interesting to look into an American producer. Um, and also, I was lo- looking really forward uh, to record in the States again, you know, because it's been a while. The Moon Kings records, I recorded them in Holland. Um, and it's a different vibe, you know. Uh, it, for me, it's really exciting to to be back in the stage because I had that whole 13 years with Whitesnake was a blast, of course. And it's a different kind of inspiration, a different kind of, of electricity in the, in the air and all that stuff, you know. So um, Bob was one of the three guys that got recommended. And um, he was the first one I talked to on the phone and we had an immediate connection and we were exactly on the same track as far as what we thought this album should be like, you know. And um, so it was a very natural thing. We, um, we went to LA and recorded the album uh, in two and a half weeks and just the way it should be, you know. Uh, the idea was to to make it sound, to have it sound like, like you're at like a great band rehearsal right in front of the little stage where everything is loud, you know, you can hear everything clearly. And if you close your eyes, you, you see the band. That, that was the idea. And not overproduced it with layers of keyboards and layers of guitars and all that stuff, you know. Yeah. Oh, it does show. I think for me, you know, as a longtime fan, it's a dream come true for any hard rock fan. You know, it's like a perfect mix of Rainbow and Whitesnake. So I'm in heaven oh, listening to this album. <laughs> yeah. Great. That's the funny thing. Um, when Murray and I first got together, uh, one of the first things we talked about how special it is that he's got this connection with Rainbow and I've got my 13 years with Whitesnake and mm-hmm. before that Vandenberg. So we realized that it was going to be, you know, like a logical mix of the three. Yeah. Uh, and it ended up being like that. That's the re- reaction of a lot of people who were hear it. And at the same time, I really wanted to, to sound like 2020, you know, not like Wooly, um, like it used to do um, early on, you know. It, mm-hmm. I really wanted to to have it sound crisp and fresh and in your face like like records from these days yeah well one thing that caught my attention is that you re-recorded burning heart which was one of your hits before you joined white snake tell us about the decision to update that track for 2020 yeah it was an interesting thing the, the the way it ended up on the album because i didn't mean it to but um the record company and my manager convinced me to uh, what happened was about four or five months ago um uh, a press release got launched into the world and um, my manager said well you know there's so many press releases these days it's a much stronger message when there's some music with it you know but we didn't we haven't been into the studio yet so and then i realized oh wait a minute um two years ago i recorded the basic tracks with the moon kings bass player and drummer um so we did have those and all i had to do basically is uh, finish up finish the guitars and um have ronnie sing on it which was a piece of cake, you know, it was easy. And um, so we had that to put out with the press release. And then when we finished the recordings, um, everybody was so enthusiastic about um, the Burning Heart uh, re-recording that they suggested, why don't we put it on the album? And I thought about it, basically realized that it would be such a nice symbolic bridge between 1982, when it uh, was on the the first Vandenberg album and it became a hit in the United States and a lot of other countries, and build that bridge be, uh, between 1982 and 2020. Uh, and when I heard it in between the other songs, funny enough, you know, it made total sense because it 
apparently is um, quite timeless because it, it sounds like it could, we could have recorded it now, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it fits in. So yeah. it, it was nice. Yeah, it does blend in well with the rest of, of the song. But tell me about the first single, Shadows of the Night. I think it's such a great starter for the album. It, it captures the essence of the 80s hard rock perfectly as well. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I was kind of hoping for that. Um, I, you know, um, you've got this idea in your head and you make, you write a song and I, I demo it and stuff. And then once Ronnie uh, put a guide vocal in it on the first demo, I thought, oh man, this is going to be great. So, um, and, and it's like, you know, you kick in the door and um, as a first track of the album, it's like you said, you know, it's got all the elements in it that, that make this band so exciting to me. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's got this, um, this, yeah, this mixture of, Rainbow, White Snake, and Vandenberg, and then sounding like um, like like it should sound now, you know, 2020 in your face and crisp and, and clear and stuff. So yeah, I just I'm really happy with the way it turned out. I imagine this one will be the opening song on on the live shows when those happen, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you could very well be right. I was torn between this one and uh, Light of the Sky. That could be a good one too. Oh yeah, uh, especially because of the lyrics. Um, but yeah, right now there's a European tour uh, planned for November, December. Uh, but uh, of course, we're not sure whether by the time we can still do that stuff. And uh, and otherwise, plan B would be to uh, start touring in February. Okay. So in the coming month, I have enough time to to start writing the next album already, and <laughs> we can we can follow it up pretty quickly. Then you know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Well, another one that has a positive vibe, a positive message is Freight Train, which is, I think it's about reaching your goals and stopping at nothing, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. I love that and track. And that's the uh, story. Yeah. yeah, me too. I, I play it uh, very often as first thing in the morning, you know, make make uh, my espresso and a freight train on and bam, I'm ready for the day, you know. it's uh, <laughs> Nice. It, it feels pretty motivational. Yeah. And of all the songs in the album, I'd say Hell or High Water, to me, is the one with the strongest white snake vibe. Do you agree? Yeah, I think that that one turned out um, as probably the most perfect rainbow and white snake blend, um, especially because of the way Ronnie sings it. You know, with the intensity, he sings it, the heavy riff and all that stuff, and it's pretty epic. You know, with the with the end section that that, that keeps going and building up and stuff. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite songs, and I, I, it turned out exactly uh, the way I hoped it was gonna turn out. So. Yeah, I'm really excited, you know. I can't wait for everybody to hear it. Yeah, it should come up in a, in a couple of weeks, and I, I bet it's going to cause a storm, man. I hope so. I <laughs> hope so. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. It would be nice, uh, especially all the people who have been whining about, oh, rock is dead, rock is dead. Well, you know, I haven't seen rock dying anywhere, you know. The, fa the fans are always there, and they just don't get served like they used to in the, in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, on MTV and, and radio and stuff, but they're all there, you know, um, like the last couple of years when we played the Moon Kings on, on, on some big festivals here and there, it's like 60, 70, 80,000 people show up, you know, they're all there, they're just waiting to um, to get another bite. Absolutely, yeah. And I read somewhere that you still use your Gibson Les Paul from the old days to write and record. Uh, what kind yeah. of guitar and amp to, the combination did you use for this album in particular? Well, this particular Les Paul, I bought it brand new in 1980. And it's wow. been ever, <laughs> with me ever since. Um, uh, inseparable because it's the first thing, you know, when I play it on stage, the first thing that my guitar tech puts in the case and brings it straight to the dressing room. So um, no risk of, of getting, losing it. Um, it's just, um, I do have other Les Pauls that sound just as good, but this one, I've got this connection with that um, musicians know what I'm talking about. You know, when you've 
when you've gone through so much stuff with one instrument, with your main instrument, then you have an almost human connection with it. And um, I'm looking at it right now, and it's it's amazing because when I bought it in 1980, it was brand new. It was like a, a limited series that Gibson put out of, uh, of like um, uh, the first series where they wanted to put out like a reissue of the Holy Grail of Gibson Les Pauls from 1959, you know, and mm. it looks exactly like it and, and, and it sounds fantastic. And um, I saved money by working in the factory and stuff and, and, and doing little jobs here and there. And so it's been with me ever since. And I recorded all the Vandenberg's albums with it, just this guitar. And, and right now the same thing, just this guitar, you know, for this Vandenberg album and my Marshall amps. And um, actually in the studio, uh, the Marshall amps got combined with a Bogner amp as well, which is basically a Marshall, you know, so. Nice. I, I can definitely agree with you that there's, uh, you know, the instruments captured the history of, of what they went through, through the years. Yeah. The connections yeah, you yeah, made, who you yeah. played with and so on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and it feels like you pick it up and it's like, um, you know, the way it should be. You, you kind of grow together, kind of, you know, as, as, as weird as it may sound to people who think it's a piece of wood with a couple of strings over it, which it is, you know, but... <laughs> Yeah, the connection is just great and it's inspiring, you know, to 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 do. And um, I'm looking at it right now and I go, man, who would have thought, you know, when I bought it at the time, I, I thought, you know, in a couple of years I'm going to be an um, art teacher at some school or whatever. And, and now I'm here still not having learned anything because I'm still making the same music that I started making when I was 14. <laughs> so that's, that's one way of looking at it. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm I'm curious about uh, one particular song. Uh, there's an effect on shout. You seem to use a, a flanger in the verses of shout. Uh, I kept waiting for the flanger to come back in the solo for that song, but it didn't happen. Can no, you it didn't happen. <laughs> can you comment on that choice? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. Um, I thought it was cool to do in um, in the verses, and then have a different different vibe in the in, in the choruses or in the solo, whatever. You know, it's um, it worked out nice. Um, and it goes with it almost cleanish um, arpeggio that I'm playing there, you know. Actually, the song that I wrote the quickest out of all of them, because <clears throat> at the very last moment before we went into the studio, I thought, I'm, I'm missing one particular tempo that would, would go down great live, you know, the, the, the pounding rhythm. And I actually had the riff laying around for a couple of weeks, and I thought, am I going to do something with it or not? And every time when I listened to it on my iPhone, I thought, hmm, it's a pretty good riff, you know. I should do something with it. So at the very last moment, a couple of days before I flew to the United States, I put the song together. And funny enough, it's one of Ronnie's favorites. Um, and I can't imagine why, because it's one of those songs where he really shines, you know. He's got this bluesy way of singing it in the verses, almost reminding of Coverdale in his, in his best years, you know. And and then he, he starts barking in the, in the choruses. It's just like a, like a thing, you know. We were really tempted Um breakdown after the solo to to you know to sing with a bunch of guys the shout you know type of thing but in the end we decided it would it it would be on the verge of being a little bit too cheesy you know so okay we're, we're gonna leave it to the crowd when we when we do the song live oh yeah uh, like you said you know there's that call and response thing towards the end that goes down great on a live setting so yeah i yeah. can't wait i can't yeah. wait to, to hear the people screaming you know yeah it should sound amazing live yeah yeah and uh, you, you mentioned about rock not being dead. I think uh, even with uh, Moon Kings, you guys were in a role, like you said. Uh, and you look at other acts from Europe, like Eclipse, uh, Hartman, Pretty Maids, uh, and Vandenberg yeah. now. Yeah. I think hard rock is alive and kicking in Europe, while in America, the crowds are some, sometimes getting smaller. Why do you think that's the case? 
Well, um, I don't know, you know, I, I can imagine that it has a lot to do with the fact that it's not getting a lot of attention or hardly any, only on the specialized rock stations, of course. Um, yeah. But what I've seen in the States lately, actually, is that um, it, it seems that a lot of bands are getting back together and, and, and there's a couple of uh, more and more great package tours that were planned for this summer, but of course they didn't get through. But, you know, bands like Dokken and, 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 and Whitesnake, uh, Foreigner... Uh, Def Leppard is still touring. Europe is touring, especially in Europe. <laughs> yeah. What's in the name? But um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of great packages that, that apparently um, still fill arenas, you know, up to 15, 20,000 people. So I don't know. It, it seems to me that, it, that there's some kind of a resurgence going on the last two or three years. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I mean, you know, I, I'm not there, but um, I try to follow everything as much possible on the web you know see what's going on and there's a lot of great records coming out you know of, of bands from that era so i don't know you know I, I think it's a matter of doing it i suppose and this summer was the perfect summer for it but uh yeah then our new friend happened. corona <laughs> yeah. spoiled it all yeah i know yeah well speaking of other bands i interviewed uh wrong young from little caesar a while ago oh cool he speaks very fondly of the band you guys had together uh manic eden yeah what do you think you guys lasted only one album well, what happened was, and, and that was one of the most difficult choices I ever had to make in my whole career, um, we made an album, we had touring plans, it was a weird period, because it was right in the middle of the grunge period, of course, but um, yeah. we were pretty confident, and um, what happened was, uh, Coverdale was going to tour with Jimmy Page, uh, and then, apparently, Jimmy Page had enough of it after three Japanese gigs, uh, <laughs> so they didn't go on, on a world tour, um, and um, David called me up, like, Right before um, the that Manic Eden European tour was finalized, and he said, "Well, you know, I really want to uh, move on with Whitesnake again." And I was quite surprised, of course. Um, um, and it was a tough decision because I, I thought about it, and I thought, if I'm not going to do Whitesnake, then I would have been in, the, you know, a member for six, seven years um, in the glory period of Whitesnake, and I would never have played an album because I had this wrist problem during the 1990 recording of slip of the tongue and um i thought man i'm never going to forgive myself if if i'm going to leave it like this you know without having played on an album so that was the difficult uh, decision and um i i really hated to, to do that because i think it's a great album and as a matter of fact there's talk about it about re-releasing it right now by through mascot uh, records which fits perfectly in their roster with you know all the blues rock or joe bonamassa stuff and oh yeah yeah that could be interesting and um who knows what happens you know it, it, because I, get, I do get a lot of questions about it mm -hmm. so many people who you know who hear like one or two songs of it and want, want to get the album but it's not available anymore so yeah it would be a good thing it would be great well i hope it happens and but then you made that decision you did the uh wrestle's heart album i think with white snake and you did the stark is in tokyo right yeah right yeah so what were your thoughts when uh coverdale decided to stop all white snake activities at the time well i thought you know it was a good moment to do that um uh, i really started missing my painting you know um mm. so i thought uh, i'm gonna have a couple of years to <clears throat> to catch up with my painting but um like John Lennon said, you know, life is what happens to you while you're making other plans. That's exactly what happened to me because mm. um, in 1999, my then girlfriend and me um, got a baby daughter. And three years later, um, classic, because, you know, I, I, have, I have been touring during a whole relationship. Uh, classic, you find out, uh, you know, the relationship wasn't what we hoped for. So mm -hmm. I decided to, I had to 
break up that relationship. And the hard thing was, as people can imagine, um, there was this little girl, uh, three years old, involved. So I thought, if I'm going to tour now and put a band together, I'm going to be one of those dads who sticks his head around the corner twice twice a year and goes, hey, I'm your dad, but uh, sorry, I'm going to have to go again. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that. So I decided it would be uh, better if I would wait until I could explain to my daughter what I would actually what my job was, you know, and what my work and my passion was. But um, when she was five or six, it was still too early, I realized, because she didn't really have a clue at that age, you know. So in the end, I waited until she was 12 or 13 when I put Moon Kings together. And she really liked it, you know. She she, she went with me every once in a while when I play a festival or something. And right now she's 21, you know. She's actually in love with a guy from LA. <laughs> so, yeah, she's a big girl now. So, and she loves it, you know. She likes... Um, kind of business the music business and the movie business so she's That's studying nice. um she's studying um social media management right now so she's gonna end up in you know some somewhere related to what i'm doing oh i understand yeah well, it's a good way to to mix the family life with the business side of things like i hope <laughs> yeah it would be yeah. nice yeah. yeah yeah well going back to the new album 2020 I, i think it's incredibly brave of you guys to release an album while the world is still in lockdown And I hope it's yeah. some relief to everybody, every rock and metal fan in these tough times. Um, can we expect some kind of interaction between the band and the fans, like a live broadcast of, of some kind? Or uh, we're, we're kind of making plans this far. Um, uh, what I've been doing is um, every time we, when we release a song, um, to talk a little bit about it on on our uh, web pages, you know, VandenbergBand.com and um, on Instagram, VandenbergBand, um, and we. We had an introduction of uh, the drummer and the bass player, and we put little stuff on there. The videos are going to be on there. And right now, we're uh, thinking about, you know, finding a way to do something together, uh, whether it's a band introduction or whether it's something mm-hmm. uh, playing, you know. So we're, we're going to try to figure something out. Um, in the beginning, nobody knew how long it was going to last. So right now, it looks like it's still going to last a, a while. So yeah. we might as well figure something out. Yeah, uh, like you said, you have shows booked for November and December, but what is the dialogue with promoters these days? Uh, is there any like semi-official confirmation, any news on the horizon? And uh, do you talk to them directly or is that through an agent? Or? Yeah, my manager um, is in daily contact with uh, our British agency and um, they're putting together this European tour um, in November, December. And um, next year, I'm sure we're going to come to the States. Um, we had we had a couple of offers already, so like you like you said, you know, it's it's kind of hard to pinpoint times right now, but it it looks like everybody's pretty convinced that um, uh, by next year, you know, everybody is going to be touring and playing and, and, and doing shows again. Yeah, uh, you know, it's 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 pretty sure that there will be medication and, and, and um, if necessary, vaccines or whatever, you know. So it's just um, trying to survive this year. This year, you know. Yeah. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed that the fingers vaccine crossed, yeah. will, will come soon enough. Yeah, well, yeah, I think so. Well, thanks for your time, Adrian. Uh, this has been a pleasure. I hope we can get to see and hear the new songs live as soon as possible. Yeah, I agree. I can't wait. And we can't wait. Everybody's kind of antsy, you know, to get, to get on the road with this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, man. And uh, all the best with the new album. And uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks very much. I'll keep in touch. Take care. Cheers. Ta- take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay, everyone, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this interview with Adrian Vandenberg. 
You can listen to it also on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Also, please follow us on Twitter and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Let's wrap it up with the song Freight Train from Vandenberg's new album, 2020. Stay safe and see you next time. Mm -hmm.